morning. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Please be mindful of our uh, registered books and also well, we don't have them out today, I see. Uh, any kind of uh, prayer request in your bulletin and also check out what we have available for you this week for your growth. And we see that schedule there. It's on the back of your bulletin. And then also, too, we remember the food bank and also the baby changing table uh, change for babies with the items that they need. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Steve, would you lead us? And understanding what lead on O King Eternal, how it was written. The lyrics to lead on O King Eternal were written in 1887 by Ernest Shavola. The music was composed by Henry T. Smart in 1835. The scripture reference to this hymn is 2 Timothy 4.8, which says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's stand and worship as we sing, Lead On, O King Eternal. Lead on, O King Eternal, the day of March has come. Henceforth in fields of conquest, your tents will be our home. Through days of preparation, your grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease. And holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drum, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom come. Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning where your face appears. Your cross is lifted o'er us, we journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest, lead on, O God. You may be seated as our good friend Scott leads us in our prayer confession. Please join me with this morning's prayer confession. Blessed and only Sovereign, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man or woman has ever seen, we come before you realizing our wayward ways. There have been times we have not acted like we were your children because of the words we said, the attitudes we portrayed, and the thoughts we had. O oh God, forgive, forgive me in the name of Jesus for these and many other offenses to your perfection that we have made. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to gain victories in these areas and bring our hearts and souls and minds under your Lordship. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Our assurance of salvation this morning comes from Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guidelines for living this morning comes from Romans 12, starting with verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies in a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Let's continue in our worship. You may remain seated as we sing our praise choruses this morning. I love you, Lord, for your mercies never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I'll sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In the darkest night you are close like no other. I know you as a father. I know you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God His goodness is running after, it's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I've surrendered now. I give you everything. Cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Cause your goodness is running, it's running after me. Your goodness is running out, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so, so good. With every
holy, be ye holy, holy, for holy, holy is the Lord. Be receive our morning tithes and our offering. And Steve, you want to share with us where the hymnology of Menderol is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder was written by James M. Black, who lived between 1836 and 1938, when a poor young girl didn't answer the roll call of a young people's society because she had died of pneumonia. Remarking on her absence, Mr. Black spoke of the sadness of anyone being absent when the names were called of those written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Revelation refers to the Lamb's Book of Life in chapter 3, 5, which says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white, and will never blot out his name from the Book of Life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 21, 27, speaking about the New Jerusalem, adds, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know that our Lamb, that the Lamb has written us in His book. What a joy that is for us to know, Lord, and that when that roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. We praise you, God, for that wonderful gift, and we thank you for all the gifts that you give us, for homes, for health. For all the things and the beautiful things that we have to share in this life with people and life itself. Lord, I just pray that you bless these gifts as these folks are grateful because of what you've done for us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved on earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather and the home I on the sky and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Thank you, Steve.
Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, what a great day it is, Lord, to be in your presence with these brothers and sisters. We thank you for the opportunities that we have every day, and we thank you for the people that are visiting us from other states and, that are, and even in our own state who can make it to church this morning. And we pray, especially, Lord, for those that we know that are struggling. We thank you for this great nation, and we thank you for the wonderful hope that we have that when that role is called, we'll be there. We pray for our nation, Father God, and the many blessings that we have, but yet also, too, Lord, we know how fragile it can be. And we pray especially for those who are making decisions for us, that you'll give them wisdom and they'll consider your ways rather than their own. We pray also, too, Father God, for um, the wonderful hope that we have in you, but also, too, Lord, for those men and women who protect us every day and keep us safe, both in our own community, but also out into the world and the many decisions they have to make, split-second decisions to protect our national security. We pray also for our own congregation as we move into a new year and we're enjoying the fellowship and the friendships that we share. But Lord, we also ask that you will help us as we grow and for our future and the many blessings that you have ahead of us that we're looking forward in sharing. We pray especially for those who are in our midst who cannot make it out. We think of Lucille and Joyce and Karen, all those that are shut in, Lord, and the struggles that they have. I pray also, too, for Howard's daughters, Mindy and Sherry, who continue to battle with some of their heart defects. We think of Donnie Russell, who had uh, uh, surgery a week and a half ago, but then had a problem last week, had to go to the hospital. We thank you that they figured out what was wrong and healing has come. We pray for Howard and Betty Long and for their continued battles. Uh, Lord, bring health to their bodies and healing to their wounds. We pray also to Father God for Brad, who battles in his mind with some of the things and struggles that he has, that you'll bring healing to him, and that as he looks to you, Lord, you'll give him strength. We want to pray also, too, for Nick, um, Nick Greer, as he had some major surgery last week. And I pray for that you'll take away any complications, keep away the infections, and as he has to wear these tubes for several uh, weeks and also months, that, Lord... Um, you'll be with him, Lord, give him patience and strength, but also, too, Lord, we pray for healing. We pray also, too, Lord, for um, uh, Connor and uh, his, uh, Don's grand, two grandsons who are having health problems, little boys, Lord, that you'll give the doctors wisdom and how to deal with that. We pray also for Mr. Mack and also for Floyd Road Armor and also Everett Long and Samantha Mama and Jason Stevens, all these who are battling cancer. We pray for their healing, Lord Jesus. We also pray, Father God, for our brothers and sisters who battle addictions. I think of Jordan, who just again came out of the hospital, and for uh, Ryan and David and Eric and Ricky, Mitch and Russell, and for the people that they affect and the things that they've done and how they've hurt people. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring healing to their hearts and minds and see that they need to become addicted to you, God, and that they put their bottle or their substance down and follow you. And today, Lord, we pray for those who lost loved ones. I pray for a friend who died that I didn't even realize he did. Be with his wife and also, too, for another friend who she lost her husband a few months ago and is still struggling also. Be with them in their grief and help them as uh, they move forward in their lives. And now, Father God, open up to us the Word of God. Help us to see and hear what you have to say for us so that we can be honoring and true to the Word in our own personal lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Famous Christian was in Ohio State University. And as they were driving through the center, there was the Wexner Art Center, which was a new building on the campus of the university. And here it was designed by a postmodernist. And basically it was really a postmodern building. Because apparently the building had basically columns that held nothing up. It had staircases that went to nowhere. 
And the architecture of it was praised by many others because it really was designed to show the meaninglessness of our society. And the Christian turned to the driver and said, what is that all about? He said, did they skimp on the foundation? And he said, oh no. He said, they didn't skimp on the end. They can make anything out of an infrastructure. But on the foundation, you cannot tamper with. I know I've talked to some contractors when they flip houses. And they'll say the same thing. That if your foundation is good, they'll be glad to fix the infrastructure and put it up and get it for sale. But if your foundation is not good, they won't buy that house because it's too much of a risk. And today, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy because he wants to make sure the foundation that Timothy has is strong and firm because Paul knew what he was going to have to deal with. He knew the struggles that were in the Ephesians church that Timothy was going to take over. He knew the outside influences that were in Timothy's lives from the world on the Ephesians church. And he knew what he was dealing with in their society. And Paul knew Timothy as a son almost, who was raised by his grandmother and mother. But Timothy was young. And he knew that congregation would try to push him around. He knew that Timothy too was affected emotionally. Sometimes we see it with people or even in ourselves. When we're upset with something, our stomachs bother us. Or we break out into a hive. And Timothy had that type of body that reacted to negative criticism. And Timothy was a timid guy. He was not a bold man who would get into somebody's faith and fight with disagreements and arguments. And Paul knew that. But God, Paul knew that God had chosen him. But Timothy had a long way to go. But Paul wanted to prepare him. Because Paul was in the Roman jail right now waiting to be executed. Samuel Johnson once said that when a man knows he's going to be hanged, he's very honest the night before. And Paul was very honest with Timothy and knew what he needed to say to prepare Timothy for the world that he was going to be ministering to and the challenges that would come to him and the constant pressures to perform, the failures that would come that he would not fold. And so Paul comes to Timothy now and he writes him this final letter. That's what Second Timothy is about. He wants to get Timothy to the end zone through these difficult times. And so Paul says to him, lead a godly life. What does that look like, Paul? Now, you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, Paul wants him to understand that you live a life that's open. That everybody can see because we're not afraid of that, like Jesus. There's no secrets held we know who we are and we know who we are in Christ. Even with Agrippa, Paul was not afraid to face him because he was in Christ. That the doctrine that he taught was considered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that doctrine was all about Christ. And it wasn't like what we see on TV today with the pseudo-psychology of Christianity. No, it was the bedrock gospel of Christ and the doctrine was sound. He also practiced what he preached. If you see that, Paul has given him instructions of actual concrete actions. This is one sometimes what happens with conservatives. Sometimes we as conservatives know what we need to do, but sometimes we don't act on them. We hide instead. And Paul says none of that. You practice what you preach and that you glorify God in all that you do. 
so that you may honor God. And that's why he wrote these words to Timothy. So that you, however, now you followed the teaching of the God. And that you be of conduct that's the way of life of Jesus. Aguge. And that your aim of life, prothesis, that purpose, that aim is for Jesus. And that it's of faith, piste, which is the body of the truth that constitutes who we are. And that we stand on it, we don't get frazzled. And that we are patient. Makrathume, which means long-suffering through it. And that we're steadfast. Hupermene, we endure through things. Timothy, this is what you need to be in the up and downs of life. We as Christians need to be the same way. And Paul is speaking to our hearts too. How many of us know what it takes to be patient in teaching somebody who doesn't understand certain things? And they fight and struggle, even fight against the truth of what they're supposed to learn. The Bible says there were persecutors. People who came and put suffering into Paul's life. And yet Paul knew that he was rescued by Christ. He remembers the words of the psalmist who said, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord helps and delivers them. But we know also that we need to be patient. I can remember my father being patient with a bunch of little boys. He was trying to teach baseball. My dad had played some pro baseball. He was trying to teach them how to hit. And of course, like most little grade school kids, we watch professional baseball. And some of them had adopted swings and, and stances that pro athletes can get away with because they're good athletes. And they couldn't understand why they were mimicking these stances and they were still striking out. Because these stances were totally wrong. And being patient to break the hitch that they had in their swing. Or to break the habit that they had created. And we see that here. Paul is saying to us, we need to be able to break those habits in us. That keep us from growing in Christ. And that we as Christians need to break through those barriers that hold us down. And that we understand that if you do that for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Jesus said it. If they hate me, you don't think they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you too. And we see that all through the scriptures and through history. If you want to read an interesting book, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And all the different Christians that suffered. My favorite was St. Lawrence. He's supposed to be the patron saint of the chefs. And when he was thrown in the oven and they wanted him to recant, they pulled him out, do you recant? He said, no, but I'm getting a little done on this side. Turn me around. He had a great sense of humor. But he knew where he was going. He was safe with the Lord. And you know and I know. There are people in our lives. As soon as we start talking about Christ... And we understand and we teach them about Christ. Some people will rebel. I can remember a gal that came to know Christ in our church. And she was, came from a huge family. And they mocked her because of her belief in Jesus. They said all they had to do is go to the church and confess their sins and they were fine. They didn't need this Jesus talk. And the fun that they made out of her and the way they treated her because she loved Jesus. Some of you may have had it when you get that undertone. I remember a couple at breakfast that we used, I go to and they don't come anymore. But I remember one time I was talking to them about Jesus and the, son, the man was a preacher's kid. And he was an atheist. He made fun of me. And then the next day when I showed up and have coffee, I can tell that they were mocking. Oh, here comes the Jesus freak. <laughs> well, they can say all they want, but the sad part about it, 
their lives are lost. And they don't even know it. And the mumblings that they said, and it's happened time and time again, as soon as you start living and speaking about Jesus, persecution will come. And the mock you. But it's interesting when we do that also, though. Sometimes God will bless us. You saw in our announcements today that we have a men's Bible study on Fridays at 6 a.m. in the morning. That didn't come because I was looking for it. <laughs> One day I'm in the gym working out with these guys and all they say, hey, you know what? You're a preacher. I said, yeah. They said, you know what? We grew up in a church and we never learned anything about the Bible. Two guys. Would you teach us the Bible? Sure, when you want to do it. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we do it on Fridays? And when we leave the gym here, we'll just go over to my man shed and we'll sit down and read the Bible together and talk about it. Okay? Next Friday came, 6 o'clock came, I went over there and there was 12 guys. <laughs> they wanted to learn about the Bible because they, they were in church on and off. But they never learned about Jesus and about the Bible. And they had no clue even about the New Testament and the Old Testament. And what a wonderful thing is when we speak out, God can use that too. I remember when I was in college. There was a guy by the name of Steve Loudon, Brainiac. He was a chemistry student and he was unbelievable. And he had a mind that was so sharp and a memory that was so sharp. And he grabbed guys on the campus that he knew that were spiritual. And he would say, you want to go to a Bible study on Wednesday night with me? And he got five of us to come. There were two who didn't come because they said, oh, they were too busy, didn't have enough time, and all that stuff. And he said, well, that's good because they weren't ready for it anyway. But then he would talk and take us through scriptures and teach us how to memorize scripture. I had already done that, but I was learning more scripture as I went along. And I can remember that happening when I was a young child. And all that helps you as grandparents. Parents. We have children that need that word. They need to carry it with them in their life because it's the strong example that gives them. And it's the input of life that this world cannot give them. And what we need to do is understand that that's one thing that he taught me, this guy Steve. And we took us through a book called How to Give Away Your Faith by Paul Little. Paul was killed back in the... I think it was in the 90s, but he was an evangelist to campuses. One of them was the University of Chicago. He was on his way to speak, and he got hit in a car and was killed. But Paul was a tremendous writer, and it was very simplistic. And he told you how to share your faith with people. And one of the things he always said, and I always keep this in the back of my mind, is that when you're sharing your love for Jesus to somebody, you're really a person who knows you're a beggar. You really have nothing. But because somebody gave you and brought you to the bread of life, you can take another beggar and show him the bread of life too. And that has always stuck in my mind so that I could understand that I'm not above this person. But by the grace of God, God touched my heart and I can... Give this bread now to somebody else. And what a fun thing it is when you see that change. I know when I was a young child, and this is something that you need to encourage, and we need to encourage our kids, and also help our grandkids about devotions. You know, devotions around the family table at the end of the day is so important. Because it's part of the feeding. This is what... Paul will say to Timothy later on about what was poured into your life it becomes a real foundation to our life. I can remember on summer days, we would be out all day playing baseball in the yard next to our church house. We had this big field. But then supper came, dad came home, five o'clock, we were all around the table sitting. 
And the friends would be outside. Come on, hurry it up. We got another game before it gets dark. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they would go into their house, grab a, a bite to eat and come right back out. No, we had to sit around the table for at least a half hour to 45 minutes. And then we had to have devotions. We had to pray and read a scripture and talk about it. and Talk about what it made sense to our lives. And man, oh man, my friends be calling and we thinking, come on, Dad, let's go. We got a game to play. <laughs> but little did I know what that was doing in my heart. Even though I was a little pagan, I was still learning the faith. And that's what Paul says about being a godly leader and developing and depositing within other people so that we can be just like Jesus and like Paul, when he says, follow me because I follow Christ. It's not a form of arrogance. It's a form of us really believing because we want to prepare people. We want to prepare our kids for the challenges that they have for their lives. And that we have nothing to hide. That we know the truth, the doctrines from the scriptures. And we practice what we preach with faith and love and patience as Paul is prescribing here, and that we realize that we may suffer for this. We may get persecuted. It's interesting today. People are not aware of how many Christians are still persecuted throughout the United the, the world. In China, in the Sudan, in Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, the Muslim countries, even parts of the United States where people, we see what happens in Canada right now. Where pastors, if they say certain things from the pulpit, they're arrested and put in jail and fined severely. And we need to be faithful to the truth. But there are persecutions that we say, family members who will mock us or make fun of us. But we should not be feared because we live the godly life. Even when there are tumultuous surroundings, look what Paul says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, that from your childhood, and he's talking about his mother and his grandmother, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom to lead to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't know the impact we're having on people, but it's amazing. I can remember when I was 16 years old and God touched my heart through a little girl dying of leukemia and I gave my life to Christ. All that stuff that was dumped in my head, all that stuff I fought against and didn't want to have to do or hear or memorize those scriptures, all of a sudden popped in my heart. And I really began to get so thrilled about those words and I could remember them. Even though they were pounded and forced in my head when I was a child, I became real. I, I, I cannot tell you how wrong it is when a parent says to you or to me, well, I want them to discover the religion for themselves. Ah, that's bull. They're going to discover a lot of other things and they're going to be taught by a lot of different people. And what we need to do is pound in their head the joy of Jesus and the truth of the word of God. Because when they finally come to grips and see it, it comes alive in their hearts and God brings it alive. Because there's amazing to me that persecution may come to this country. Right now it's very subtle. Sometimes it's mockery. But we're seeing it more and more blatant in the world. If you watch TikTok and you watch some of the social media, you can see the belligerence of some who don't want anything to do with God or Jesus Christ. And you see, that persecution is right now at a height in many other areas of the world that we're blind to. Nigeria, Western Africa. On Christmas Eve, 38 people were attacked and killed coming out of church. Victorian Baptist Church. Another church in Africa 
28 people were killed. Egypt, 130 Christian worshipers were pulled out of their church as they were rebuilding the church that had been destroyed by Muslims and burned again. These we receive from this company, this group called um, the Christian Aid Mission. And these atrocities don't make the papers because they're Christian. 20 people were blinded in both eyes and five were killed in Cairo. I think about this because my niece is in a, a missionary in a Muslim country with two little babies and her husband. And you wonder what could easily happen in those countries. We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one, John said. And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And one of the things that's so important is the word of God. That's what's so neat. The sufficiency of scripture is there for us. By the words written down, they're called the holy scriptures. Why? Because there's a special eminence in them that no other book in all of the world has. Because you see, they're God-breathed. And they're also written to make us wise. And to make us wise into eternal salvation. And they're produced by Jesus Christ. And one of the sad things for me is that there are people who I know who are believers. And I know they've committed themselves to Jesus Christ, but they still struggle in believing what it says. And John says in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things have been written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him you have eternal life. It's sad when Christians are not assured of that. And I ran into that yesterday. Sitting at a table with somebody eating. And we were talking about my stress test and what's going to happen this week. And, you know, if um, about this whole hip and what if I died in surgery? I said, well, it'd be great because I go to heaven and I'll get a whole new body. And she looked at me. And then she said, and I know she's a Christian. She says to me, well, I hope you're right on that one. I know that. I, I understand that, but I hope you're right. She didn't truly believe it. And yet that's what the Bible says. And so we're called. And we have to watch so that we can inform our friends. And that's what I did. I tried to inform her of the truth of the word. You see, we need to be influencers in our society. There's a lot of Christians out there who claim to be Christians and may even believe, but they're not assured. John says it twice, first in John 20, verse 31, and then again in 1 John chapter 5, 13, that we can know for sure. If you're a Christian giving your life to Christ and you're not sure, then you've got to ask yourself, do I really trust Christ to save me? And that's what I spoke about. And, and we need to help those who may not be assured that are Christians. The other night, God, you know, God has these moments in your life where there are like theophanies, like Moses at the burning bush. And I haven't talked on a personal level with my grandson, my oldest grandson for a while. And it came to faith matters. He had just had a basketball game and he was pretty tired and he had just had a shower and we're waiting for them to come back with the food that we were going to eat. And I had this opportunity to share with him about my faith and what God has done for us here at this church and how God opened up doors. And he just was stunned. And I, I, was, I was trying to make the... And we made the... He said, that's cool, Grandpa. <laughs> How cool is that? And our kids, our grandkids need that. They need to hear from us. And they need to understand 
that the rule of faith in our life is that because we have Christ in our hearts and we have the Holy Spirit within, God speaks to us from the one rule of life. We don't listen to all this garbage that goes on in the world. But the truth of the matter is our only rule is Scripture. And that we testify to that. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. And this is critical for us surviving and for Timothy to survive. All Scripture is inspired. The word there means in Greek, God breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or complete, equipped for every good work. And you see, this is where the church is at odds. Because you have some churches, and I've met pastors who are this way. You have too. You may have even gone and heard them preach that they don't value the word. Why? Because they look at the word as men who observed things happening in their life and they wrote what they thought God was doing. And it was generated by being inspired by an activity. And so they wrote about what they thought God was. Now you know as well as I do. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of thoughts about God. And they're definitely wrong. They don't have a clue. But you see, we, as the scriptures say here today, that God had men who were basically believers, who by the Holy Spirit, he breathed on them. He used their personalities, their writing styles, and their abilities, but he used them to put into them the truth that is laid out in Scripture for us today. And that's why we believe in the divine inspiration of the Scriptures, because of what Paul and Peter and others have said about Scripture. And that this is not a book that men wrote about God. This is God's book given to men through the divine operation of the Holy Spirit working through men to write down those words. And because of that, the Bible is here for four purposes. To teach us what is right. To re make us change our ways when we're wrong. And to correct us. To show us the right way. And then to lead us and train us to do the righteousness that God wants. So that we can be complete and total packages. Now, it's kind of like God's playbook. Andy Reid, I don't know, today we're all Super Bowl crazy anyway, so I might as well say this. Andy Reid sometimes comes with some play designs that you sit there and you go, what was he thinking as they're lining up? And then all of a sudden they do this play and they score. You say, well, he must have known what he was doing. That's what God's done. He writes this down for us. So we have a legitimate piece of paper with his ideas in it. So that we can do what he wants us to do. And Paul says this to Timothy. He says, these four reasons he put it together for you personally. So that you will profit from it. And when you screw up, he's going to say it. And when you need to be corrected, he's going to teach you how to go back on the right way. And then he's going to train you how to live the right way. If you keep your head in the word and keep in my playbook. And that I will show you the way. And I will give it to you. And it's from me. Now there's some people who come and say, well, come on. This book, 66 books. How, how, how can a book do that? It's just like Shakespeare writing, and they've got a beautiful, he was inspired, and so were these 66 men, or the, these 40 men. That, no, 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 that's not what this is about. Those 40 men had a special inspiration. They were inspired from what they saw inside. 
They were inspired by what God put inside them and that they could write it out. That's the divine inspiration. And that they transcribed it on pieces of paper. And the uniqueness of it is so powerful. How it was communicated and transcribed and then put together. There's no other book like it. In fact, it had 40 authors, three different continents it spans, three different languages it was written in, over 1,500 years. Now you tell me, if you go to a, a ball game and you have three people see the same play, are they going to say the same thing? No. Here, 1,500 years, over 40 authors saying the same things and directing us to the same way that God has called us. It's because it's divinely inspired. And that we have 39 Old Testament books and 27 that have literary forms and differences, but they all point to the one thing. And that we see its authenticity by many different ways in the scripture. Prophecy. <laughs> it's incredible. There is no book like it. How in the world... Do writers 600 years before Jesus shows up say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem? Micah 5. Or that 3,000 years before Jesus was born that he was going to be from the tribe of Judah? Or that he's going to come into Jerusalem his final week on a cult? Zechariah 9. Or that he's going to be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver foretold 600 years before it happened. Or that he was going to be beaten and spit at. Are you kidding me? Why would God write a story like that? And yet, that's the Messiah that he predicted 600 years before. And that he'd be wounded by his enemies, Isaiah, 600 years before. Or that he would be, his hands and his feet would be pierced by nails. Written 850 to 1,000 years before that happened in Psalm 22 by David. Or that he would be crucified between two thieves. Isaiah 53. And it's interesting if you ever have this argument with somebody. Or somebody says, well I don't believe the Bible. <laughs> Just bring him those. And it's interesting that it was a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner. And this is an illustration you need to use for them to get them to understand how beautiful this book is and how precious it is. Because he took 600 students and they worked mathematically on trying to figure out the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies of the 300. And Jesus fulfilled all 300, but only eight. And then he took it to his American Scientific Affiliation Group and presented it to them. And they were astounded and they agreed with it. That how improbable this Jesus would fulfill all this. And then... <laughs> The chance of that man being born in Bethlehem was over 300,000. And so what they did, they put it into the power of math. And they said, it's one to the 17th power, which means 17 zeros, that this Jesus would be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver and eight other prophecies out of the 300. And then he tried to draw the picture for people to understand what this was looking like. 
And he came up with this with his friends. That if you were to take Texas and fill it with dollar, silver dollars. Texas would be two feet high of silver dollars. And you take one of those silver dollars and you paint it. And you fly over a helicopter over Texas and you drop it out of the helicopter. And mix it up in those two foot of silver dollars. And then you take a Texan and blindfold them. And have them walk out into those silver dollars. And the first silver dollar they choose should be that one that's painted. That's how much the probability is for Jesus to fill just eight of those. And you see, this is why the character of Scripture is so important to us. And studying it and learning it and following it. Because it changes our hearts. It moves inside of us. It's amazing. People will say, well, they're put together by man. And it's all false. Well, how is it that in 1947, a little young Arabian Bedouin shepherd is wandering around with his sheep and walks into the region called the Qumran community and finds these caves. And in those caves, they find little clay pots. And he breaks one open and finds that there's a scroll in there. And as he brings it back, they call archaeologists to come out. And they find these 20 caves full of these scrolls. And here, what they had, the most oldest manuscript of the Old Testament that was ever found. And it was intact. And there were some fragments of some books, but one in particular, Esther, was not there. But all the rest of them were. And it speaks about the accuracy of Scripture. And how powerful this is to us. And how in the Old Testament they put together the scriptures. What were sound and true. And then in the New Testament the church came along. And they realized that people needed the sound teachings of the New Testament. So in 367 the church brought together. A whole army of professors and they went through all the things that they found written. They basically disrupted a lot of unauthentic gospels and writings that were not Paul's and not the apostles and that were not regarded by the church and that were false teachings. And they put together what we know as the canon or the Bible today. And that... We know that what we have are the true inspired scriptures that God ordained for us to know how to have salvation and to live life that glorifies him and to know him. And so that's why Paul speaks to this and says, Timothy, make sure you know your scripture. Make sure you keep reading that scripture. Make sure that you obey that scripture because it will change your life. Make you stronger to be even better equipped to handle these situations. And that realize that you're never going to outgrow the scriptures. They are God's divine appointed message to you to accept the challenge. And that you can be sure and certain of these things. Because they're the truth. That's why pastors still in Canada. Are being arrested. That's why still people are being killed. In Africa. Why? Because they know these things are the truth. And that we are to build our lives around that word. 
to help us. We're to be people of the book, people of the word, and that we follow God's game plan, and that we consult the book as our playbook, and that we understand how God can change us and change others around us as we present them that word. I was with a real officer that had retired. Steve's a real character. But he reminded me, he said, you know what, Dave? A few weeks ago, I ran into a gal that I had arrested on the vice squad many years ago. He said, I probably hadn't been on vice for 20 years. He said, but I ran into her at Walmart. And he said, at that point in her life, she was a young 18-year-old girl wrapped up in prostitution on Lower Broadway. I had arrested her a couple times. And one day I said to her, why don't you give your life to God? You live right around the corner from a good church. It's an evangelical church. And why don't you go there and get your life straightened out? Because you're killing yourself. You're going to die here. And he said, that night I let her off the hook. Because she had been in jail several times. And her life was just a total trash heap. (laughs) And he says, here I am now. 20 years later, and she's got two kids and a husband. And I never realized that she went to that church and she gave her life to Christ. She started reading the word and then getting Bible studies and the people in that church helped her get a decent job, get on her feet, helped her with the first couple months of rent. And she's totally changed woman who loves the Lord and is training her children in the ways of him. And he said, she said to me, that's because I found, the Lord found me and I found his word and it's helped me change radically. That's the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for the miracles that you do in our lives, and the lives of the people around us. We thank you for your word, Lord, as it teaches us, corrects us in our stumblings and failings and gives us the way to go. Help us, Lord, to be your obedient servants. Help us to read your word and have your Holy Spirit teach us more and more what we need to know. Father, thank you for being such a loving God. And for Jesus, who paid the ultimate price and bought us from our sin and gave us eternal life. Now fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing our closing song, Coming Again. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.